All right, friends, welcome here. I, uh, I want to invite you to grab your beverages and come on back in and take your seats. And uh, we'll continue with our teaching time together this morning. I want to welcome you. My name's Brad. I'm, part, I'm trying not to knock anything over up here. But uh, I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho. And you might wonder what in the world I'm doing with my old skis up here this morning. Well, I want to ask you a, a question as we dive into our new year together. And that is, how many of you are skiers? How many of you have skied? All right, a few have skied once in your life. You can count yourself a skier if you've gone once. All right, how many of you have never skied before in your life? Never skied before. All right, got it. So, for those who are skiers, then I want to ask this question. So, if those of you who are non-skiers, if you wanted to become a skier in 2020, if you were like, that's my New Year's resolution, I want to learn how to ski, for those of you who have skied, what would those people do? Start shouting it out. What would you do if you wanted to become a skier? Take a lesson, somebody said. What else? Get skis. That would be a good start. Rent them, get them. Yeah, what else? Go to the mountain. That would be helpful. Yes. Yeah, buy a lift pass. Also helpful. Yeah. What insurance? Make sure your life insurance is up to date. <laughs> I like it. Whoa, you're a high-risk skier. What else? Get the clothing, yeah, necessary for being a skier. What else? Start practicing. Yeah, what else? What did you say, Sabrina? Watch, oh, watch a music video? Oh, a YouTube video. Oh, I see, like a how-to. Okay, got it. <laughs> it's like, they do have, Warren Miller has fantastic music videos of people skiing, heli, heli skiing. Yeah, what else? You guys have great answers. Go to the, start easy, go to the bunny slope. Yeah, what else? Schedule it in. Yeah, make it a priority. Actually say, okay, like, I'm going to commit. I'm going to make a season's pass out of this or something like that. Yeah. So there's all kinds of things. If you said to yourself, I want to learn to do something or I want to grow in this skill in this year, we have kind of a pathway in our minds that we think about and that we can work through and if you wanted to be a skier, then you would kind of start walking down that pathway. And so what I want us to talk about and think about is, um, you might wonder, why in the world am I asking you this question? Well, as we start into this new year, we're going to start a new series here at Jericho for the month of January. And we're launching this series. It's called Follow Me, an Adventure of discipleship. And we're going to use the image or the metaphor of skiing or a ski hill to try and help us understand how we might learn to better follow Jesus as disciples. And so some of the things, if you're a non-skier, we might explain to you. For example, what does the black diamond mean for those who are skiers? That's the difficult, like the advanced. Yeah, that's the life insurance up-to-date kind of hill, right? But discipleship is for everybody. Discipleship following Jesus 
is available and open to not just super Christians, not just people who are really mature, who've been at this for a long time. Discipleship is something that is for all of us to follow Jesus. And so we're going to use that metaphor of learning how to ski or learning how to understand how to be a disciple. And we're going to talk through our five core values as a faith community. And so our five core values are transformational truth, authentic community, global service, generous lifestyle, or generous living, and holistic worship. And at Jericho, when we talk about our core values, this really isn't just about what kind of a church we want to be, what kind of an institution we want to try and foster. This is really about us as individuals, because we can't be a church that is generous if we aren't individuals who are generous. And so when it comes to our core values as a church, they're things that we individually have to choose to understand and to live out. Because our corporate values, our corporate expression of these values is just really the sum total of our individual commitments to them. We as the body of Christ, the individuals who make up the body of Christ here at Jericho Ridge, we are the ones who are living into these things more deeply. And so if you're new with us here at Jericho, this is a perfect time to come on the journey with us because you're going to learn about the type of person and the type of people that we want to commit to being. And we want to ask God to work in our hearts and in our lives. And so this morning we're going to begin this series by looking at the first of our core values. And that is transformational truth. And for all of our values we have like a little one sentence or little phrase that summarizes what we mean when we say transformational truth. And for us what that is is we allow God's spirit and God's word to change us, which seems straightforward enough. We would say something like, everyone is welcome at Jericho Ridge, but no one is welcome to remain as they are at Jericho Ridge. If you stick around for any length of time, our hope, our prayer, our desire, our aspiration, and our challenge to you would be, there's going to be areas of your life that need to change and need to be transformed but they need to be transformed by God's truth. So it's God's spirit and God's word that are the agents and the impetus for our transformation. And so then we go into a longer description of our value, which is as follows. God's character and word shape our thinking and our behavior. So we're talking about our head and our hearts, not just my head is going to be transformed and I'll think better about things. We're gonna talk a little bit more about that later. Biblical truth is taught in our homes and in the church in such a way that it leads to holistic growth. We are committed to depth and maturity in our faith, fully aware of our need for grace in our spiritual apprenticeship. We desire to work out our faith in all aspects of our personal lives, intellectual, physical, emotional, spiritual, in order to transform our world as we are transformed by God's spirit and by God's word. So there are a lot of assumptions built into that paragraph. 
and we're going to unpack uh, a few of them. But the basic question that I want to ask us to wrestle with today is actually a how question. So if we want to see transformation happen, and if we're fundamentally convinced that God's spirit and God's word transform us, how does that process actually work? How does transformation actually happen? Or what is the anatomy of transformation? What, are, what is the process? What are the component parts of transformational truth? What parts do you and I need to play? And what parts does God, by God's spirit, play? So turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 12. And we're going to look at one of the most concise descriptions of the process of transformation and spiritual growth in the New Testament. And in this verse, we're going to see there are three things or three ways or three components that must be present in order for you and I to grow and be transformed. So let's pray together as we look into God's word this morning. Almighty God, we are grateful for the work of your spirit and we are grateful for your word that we can meet and encounter you and we can be transformed. And so I ask that you would continue to transform us into your likeness. Shape our character, shape our thinking, shape our behavior as individuals and as a community of faith, Father. Not just for our own benefit, Lord. We pray that as you transform us, we would live out that transform, transformation in front of people in our world who so desperately need to see something different and that we would be transformed for the sake of the world and for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, Romans 12, verse 2 describes for us actually how transformation works. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So the first and the essential component of transformation in my life or in your life is simply this. Let God transform you. Let God transform you into a new person. And this is where the idea of wanting to become a skier might become helpful for us to think about. The very first step, if you want to become a skier, is actually to decide to let yourself think about becoming a skier. And then let yourself go down that pathway of becoming a skier. You have to let yourself become a skier. It's not going to happen any other way. I have to submit to whatever process is necessary for me to become a skier. I can't just wish for it to happen. can't just pray harder and hope for it to happen. I actually have to allow the process and person, people outside of me to help me become that which I am not now. 
And so we understand that with skiing, but for some reason when it comes to letting God transform us, we disconnect those things. But the very first and fundamental thing about transformation is let God transform you. Actually open yourself to the idea or the possibility that God wants to do that. That God wants to, by God's spirit, transform and shape you into something that you are not at present. In skiing, you start to get down that path and think, okay, I'm going to let myself become a snow plowing, mogul shredding, lift riding, goggle wearing, snow loving ski bum. That's who I want to be. <laughs> but when it comes to our faith development, sometimes we don't think about that. For example, in spiritual maturity and development, we kind of omit or skip over this step in the transformational process. But I want to let you in on a little secret of transformation, how transformation actually works. And that is, in 2020, if you want to become a person who is more in love with Jesus, who follows Jesus more closely, you have to let yourself be transformed and allow God to transform you into a new person. So I'm not strictly talking here about just that initial experience of letting God transform you. Sometimes when we use the language of transformation, we're using and equating it with like a salvation experience where God has transformed you into a new creation, taken you and transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And that's a transformational experience, absolutely. But it's not just the only transformational experience experience that God wants to do in your life. This whole letting God transform you is an ongoing thing. See, transformation is not, whatever else it is, it's not automatic. It requires you to be a willing participant in some way. You have to allow, Romans 12, 2 says, let God transform you into a new person. You have to permit or give access to God to your life to do that. And the ways in which God transforms us are, are wonderfully unique and creative. God's spirit is so dynamic that the ways that God transforms you would be maybe different than the way or the means by which God transforms me. Some people experience God's transforming work in their lives in the crucible of suffering and hardship. Some people experience it when they step outside of their comfort zone and they say things like, all right, I'm going to go, this year I'm going to go to Guatemala with the team that's going in March. And that's going to be outside of my comfort zone. And, and God uses that to transform them in a powerful way. Or maybe by you, um, you might experience God's transforming work, stepping out in faith and saying, I'm actually going to give uh, sacrificially in 2020 in a way that I haven't before. And God might use that to transform your lens on finances. Maybe you step out and you start mentoring a young person, start working with Mike and, and with the youth, and God uses that to transform you in some unique and powerful way. All of these and more are possible ways that God can use to transform you. But 
I want to issue a cautionary note for us in the realm of transformation. Because some of us have grown up with the notion that more is better. And meaning that more activity equals more transformation. But more action doesn't automatically mean more transformation. I love watching uh, the Netflix show The Crown, and I'm on season three, so I will issue no spoiler alerts for those of you who are not on season three. But uh, this week I was watching episode seven, and it's called Moon Dust. And it's not up to me to give Emmys, obviously, but after that episode, I said to Meg, if it was up to me, I would give it for that episode, for every aspect of it, acting, directing, writing, like everybody gets it on that one, phenomenal. Um, but what it was striking to me about it was the insight into the inner world of Prince Philip. And in this episode, it shows him in his midlife, and uh, Moondust is connected to the moon landing, and he's watching this, he becomes obsessed with it, and he becomes obsessed with what has he done in his life? What kind of activity has he put into his life that has resulted in meaning and purpose? And so he just starts putting more and more things into his calendar. He's busier and busier, and he throws himself into activities, charitable and otherwise, service to others, compulsive exercises. He starts taking risks as a pilot. And at the end of the episode, he's gotten all of these things done, and he finds out that it has not resulted in any different experience for him in his inner world. No transformation has happened because he's changed the activity level in his life. What he finds, intriguingly, is that he walks into and in on a group of stuck middle-aged clergymen. And he sits down with them and he simply says one word, help. He admits that he needs other people to speak into his life in a powerful way. And it begins a friendship, a spiritual friendship between him and the rector. And it actually begins to have a transformative effect on him. Because transformation requires you to be a willing participant, but it does not always require you to just dial up the activity level higher and higher and higher, hoping that somehow by putting more things into your life, that you will be transformed. In fact, in some places in the scripture, the opposite advice is given. So think about the psalmist that says, cease striving in order to know and experience that God is God. Sometime at, uh, ago at Jericho, we did a survey, a church-wide survey called Reveal. And Reveal's now happened in over 2,000 churches in North America and internationally. And one of the most fascinating things that came out of that experience and out of that survey across all of these churches of all different denominational persuasions is simply the finding that more activity in your life does not correlate with transformation. Just because you are busier with churchy and religious stuff doesn't mean that you are more like Jesus. 
there's not a one-to-one correlation between activity and transformation. There is a one-to-one ratio between zero activity and zero transformation, but there's not a correlation between massive activity and massive transformation. And so we do not expect here at Jericho that simply because you come to things that we do, that somehow you will experience in God's transforming work in you. There's a higher likelihood of it, but your activity is not the best predictor of your transformation. Simply increasing activity actually can have the opposite effect. It can increase legalism. It can increase burnout. It can increase your sense of frustration that even though you're doing more things, you don't feel any closer to God. And so I want you to hear from us at Jericho that when we talk about transformational truth, we're not talking about just getting busier. We're talking about actually a different operating system. We are not interested in putting on more and better programs for your consumption that somehow then will magically result in you being transformed. What we are interested is in helping create the right kinds of environments where transformation might be possible if you let God do the work that God desires to do. And so we want to help you and create the right set of environments for you to experience God, to know God more, to respond to God. But we don't want to create so many environments for you that you're just busy all of the time and you're not experiencing the inner work of transformation. Does that make sense? So this past fall, we studied the book of Galatians. And one of the verses that really stuck with me was at the very end of that book, Uh, Paul said basically a reminder that transformation in our lives, if we're going to let God transform us, transformation isn't as much about how much stuff that we do. I love the way that the message translation puts it in Galatians chapter 6. It says this, because of the cross, because of what Jesus has done, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, Paul says this, I have been set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns that they dictate. Can't you see the central issue in all of this? It is not what you and I do. It is what God is doing. And he is creating something totally new in us. A free Life, a life free from the constraints of legalistic activity in order to earn God's favor. So the first part of transformation is to admit this is about what God has done, is doing, and wants to do, and to let God do that. And this is incredibly freeing news because it means that the burden that you and I sometimes feel or experience when it comes to New Year's resolutions and trying to be a better Christian in 2020 than I was in 2019, you don't have to shoulder that and simply try harder and just dial it up somehow in 2020. Get more Jesus-y stuff in your life and somehow that will automatically mean transformation for you. The central issue, Paul says, is a surrender issue. 
It's a posture issue. The process of transformation is God's work, what God wants to do. So let God and let God's spirit do the work that God says that God wants to do. And for you, this might be the first time that you're hearing something like this in this way. That this is what it means to be a disciple, to be a part of God's family. And if that's you, the posture that I'm inviting all of us to take of surrender is the posture that as a first-time initiation into God's family, you would do as well. You simply say, yes, God, I surrender. I choose to let you do the work in my life that you want to do. I want to become a new person, but I don't want to do it by my own strength, effort, and initiative. And friends, this is what countless people here at Jericho have come to know and experience, is the grace of God flowing into their lives in that moment or in that season, in that experience, and allowing and and feeling and living into a new place of God's redeeming love and grace. And if you want that, if you have never stepped into that, if you've never said yes, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, we would love to lead you through that process today. And we'll have our prayer teams that'll be available uh, at the end of the teaching time. So the first key to seeing any kind of transformation happen in your life is simply a posture of willingness And so as we start 2020, ask yourself the question, are there any areas of my life that I am currently unwilling to let God do God's work in? Are there any unsurrendered areas of my life? Places I actually don't want God to transform. Places that I'm trying to keep God at arm's length. And I'm sure we could all think of one or two places. And so at the end of our time, I'm going to lead us through a prayer of confession where we'll just say, God, I want to surrender yet again those places to you. Surrendering them to God at the start of this new year. The second component after we let God transform us into a new person is the how component. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And the way that we think is intricately connected to the way that we act. Altison is very fond of saying you have to think correctly in order to act correctly. And actually, Lorne, who's leading us through Leader Lab, uh, Lorne wrote a great blog post. On the first of the month, Lorne sends out a blog post uh, to people. And if you're not on it, then go, Lorne, wave your hand. Go and talk to Lorne, and he'll help you get hooked up with that. Because it's a great little leadership nugget for you, a little great. uh, And this last one in January, he was talking about our focus, like how we think. And what you think about and where you focus in 2020 matters. Because what you think about will impact the way that you behave and who you become in 2020. And so a few pages earlier in the book of Romans, Paul expresses it this way when he talks about the way that we think. He says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, they think about the sinful things. That's what dominates their thoughts. 
And so therefore, their nature and the way that they think and their behavior are intricately connected. But those who are controlled by God's Holy Spirit, those who allow God's Spirit the access to their lives, they think about things that please God's Spirit. Think about things that are lovely, that are pure, that are of good report. Think about these things. And the Bible teaches us regularly that what we think about matters because what we think about impacts our actions. So Jesus talked about this. Jesus said, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. In other words, what's going on in your inner world is going to come out in your words, in your actions, in what you say and what you do. And so one way to actually test what it was that you were thinking about in 2019 is actually to go back and, and look at your actions. And this is a point of good news as well because we can change the way that we think. You and I can take intentional steps to change the way that we think, which then will have an impact on the way that we act and can lead to transformation. So this is our part in the transformation. These are things that we can do if we want to see in any area of our life some transformation happen. So in his book, Atomic Habits, uh, it's written by an author named James Clear. Now, full confession, I have not read the book. I watched YouTube clips of James Clear, which were awesome. So I recommend the book based on that. But uh, I'm sure it's a good book. It appeared in lots of people's top 10 lists and as their top book of the year, people that I respect highly. But I digress. So in the book, which again, I have not read, James Clear notes, if you want to change your thinking and actions in any area of our lives, you make tiny changes that over time have a big impact. So Romans 12.2 talks about this, right? The beginning of Romans 12.2, it says, it uses the language of behaviors and customs. Don't conform, Paul says, to the behaviors and customs or ways of doing things, patterns of thinking of this world. So we're not simply to copy those around us. We're to let God transform our thinking and our acting. And so in his uh, book, James uh, Clear suggests four ways that our habits and customs change. And the first one is a simple one, noticing, like paying attention. What is actually going on in your life? This is why I think nostalgia sets in. The last week of, the, uh, of a year, uh, the first week of a new decade, people start to think about things. They start to try and take stock and notice things about their life and pay attention in some particular way. And sociologists who study human behavior tell us that more often than not, when we get into these zones where we're trying to pay attention to what's going on in our lives and we want to change things, Oftentimes, we don't actually suffer from motivation problems. We suffer from clarity problems. And that is, we actually are not clear about what it is that we want to change, either what we want to stop doing or start doing. And we're not clear what it would look like if we succeeded. We just give these sort of vague sense of, I want to become a better person in 2020. Well, what does that mean? How? In what area of your life do you want to do that? 
And so one of the things we have to do is if we want to experience transformation, we have to actually pay attention to what's going on in our lives. We have to become better students of our own lives. And for me, one of the spiritual practices I use for this is journaling. I don't journal about activities in my days. That would be horribly boring to me. I journal about how I feel and experienced things and what I'm noticing and what God is teaching me. And then at the end of a year, I'll go back through those journals and think, oh wow, that was a significant moment for me. I feel like God, you know, it took me six months to learn that actual thing that God was trying to teach me. And uh, so for me, if I want to notice and pay attention to some area of my life, my journals become a tool for that. And I also read uh, historical journals because what I find there is people are, are very true about their motivations and about what their character, what they were experiencing in their own lives. So right now I'm reading uh, uh, the journals of Jonathan Edwards, although he's a bit dour. He's a total Eeyore, for my, but it's helpful for me uh, as an optimist because I'm trying to pay attention to what was he noticing about his own life and then how did he go about exercising a desire to change things in his own life and in his heart. And so for me, journals become a helpful way of noticing and getting clarity, drilling down and actually identifying what is it the specific areas of my life that I want to invite God's transformation in. So first one is noticing. Second one is wanting. Do you actually want to change? And it seems self-evident, but it goes back to that previous conversation of saying, are there any areas where you've said to God, hands off, I don't want you touching this area of my life. Because if we break it down and think about, we can say, oh God, I'm open to you. I want to be transformed into a new person. But then we immediately follow up by saying, but I don't want to do this, this, and this. Or I'm not willing to have any conversations about finances or about my time or about any of these things but I want you to change me God well it doesn't quite work that way there's a willingness that has to happen and our willingness is evident and it's seen in our actions clear says one of the ways that that can be helpful for us is to think about every action that we take being a vote for the kind of person that we want to become because our actions provide evidence of who we are or who we are becoming. And this voting analogy is helpful because sometimes when we think about transformation, we think about an all or nothing game. Oh, if I can't become that, if I can't ski the black diamonds, I'm not even going to start at all. But Clear says, no, no, no. Think about every action that you take being a vote for the type of person that you want to become. And so, if you think about an election, nobody ever, no candidate goes into an election thinking that they're gonna get 100% of the votes, right? That's unrealistic. They only need enough to win <laughs> in our current system. First past the post, right? So you need enough votes of action in a positive direction of your behaviors to actually win. You don't need to have 100% of your behaviors move you in that direction, but you need to have enough votes move you in that direction that it actually gives evidence of your willingness to be transformed. That's why uh, in our Bible reading plan, which is inside the Jericho Ridge app, it's called Project 345, we set it up as a five-day plan. And you can, of course, do more if you want, 
But part of the reason is we're saying, would you be willing to take, the reason it's called 345 is three, the average text in the New Testament, uh, average chapter takes three minutes and 45 seconds for the average reader to read. And so would you be willing to take five times in the week, three minutes and 45 seconds to spend time in engaging with God's word? If we set it up as a seven-day plan, then sometimes it, it reinforces subtly the notion that oh, I could never get there. I know I'm not going to do it seven days a week, so therefore I won't even start. But just take a vote. Make a vote for the type of person that you want to become. Bring that thinking into area of your life that you want to change. You don't need to be perfect at life journaling, but you do need to want to change and grow in that area of your life with scripture engagement that you're going to act in a new way that there would be enough accumulated evidence over the course of 2020 to say you've progressed in this. So noticing, wanting, the third of the four keys to changing your habits is doing, actually doing something about it. And here's the part that is encouraging. You just have to show up. Just put yourself in the environment where you're most likely to see something happen. So let's stick with that example of scripture intake for a minute. If you want to read the Bible more in 2020 than you did in 2019, in order to let God use that to transform you, you need to think about what am I going to put in my life in order to get started down that path? Sometimes we think in terms of the end goal. We think in terms of, oh, I want to get through the Bible in a year. But that can be discouraging for us because then when we start down the path and we don't get very far, that's why many of us abandon these types of resolutions. But think in terms of an engineer for the starting line, not the finish line. So think about what you're going to do today, tomorrow, this week to take those steps and putting those things into your life. So for example, you might say, I'm going to make a commitment to put in my calendar, 6 a.m. on a Wednesday, I'm gonna show up at Starbucks at 72nd and 200th Street, and I know that Jenna's gonna be there, and Jenna's gonna lead a one-hour engagement with God's word. And this is the way that we learn and that we transform. We, my parents always used to say, you learn to do by doing. In other words, you can't just will yourself to think, I want to be a better Bible reader. I want to read more of the Bible in, in 2020. You actually have to do something about that. And it's the same in any, any, care, uh, any area of your life. You, it's helpful. It's not as helpful to say, I want to become a writer in 2020. It's more helpful to just block out, I'm going to do 20 minutes of writing on Tuesdays and Thursdays at this time. And then when you are doing those things, you're evidencing you are a writer because you are writing. Same thing with skiing. Go just, you getting in that into your calendar, getting it, the stuff assigned for it, getting up on the hill, doing it, becomes, will transform you little by little into a skier. If you want to become a marathon runner, you don't start by saying, I want to run 42.2 kilometers tomorrow. You start by just running a few steps further than you did this last week. You optimize for the starting line where you're at right now, not the finish line, where you want to be by the end of 2020. And this is helpful too because Romans 12, 3, the next verse after this, helps us understand why. Because it says, don't compare yourself to other people. Be honest in your own evaluation of yourself. And that helps take away some of that, oh, I could never read the Bible or pray like so-and-so does. No, 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 that's not what this is about. 
This is about optimizing for the starting line. Where are you at and what steps do you want to take in that area? So the good news is that you can start small and you can experience some small transformation. Just put your Bible on your phone somewhere you're going to read it. Sign up for a Bible reading plan that emails you every morning. Try an audio Bible if you say, I'm not a reader. Um, Start small, but doing something can help move you in a particular direction. So that's doing. And then the fourth one is liking. (laughs) Change actually has to be satisfying in order for us to persist. And you're going to hit a wall with it. It doesn't matter what it is, but you have to figure out how how are you going to persist through that? how can you celebrate some small wins along the way? Author Seth Godin says, the best way to change long-term behavior is by short-term feedback. In other words, reward yourself. If you show up with Jenna on Wednesday at 6 a.m., buy yourself the biggest coffee. And you might say to yourself, well, you know, is, is that being superficial? I link my reading to my coffee in the morning and it may well be that my spiritual growth and development is linked to my caffeine addictions. I'm fully willing to admit that and I am totally okay with that. Because <laughs> for me, it reinforces it. It's part of that habit or part of that activity that does it. So figure out for you, what is that kind of small reward that would help you actually like getting up earlier to spend time listening to God? So sometimes we make it a little bit too complicated. But we can start by asking ourselves the question, what habits or practices do I want to cultivate this year? What's a habit or a practice that you want to build into your life that would help you become a transformed person? And then how can you make it easy? How can you make it satisfying? How can you help it stick in some meaningful way? And sometimes you just need to show up and put the miles in. That's why uh, I love the uh, format of a life group or a small group, right? You just get yourself in that environment and over time, you'll notice transformation happening in your life. If you make a commitment to give away more of your resources or time than you did last year, you make the commitment and then you persist and stick with it. Start with a doable and then step out in faith. Start a Bible reading plan. Start serving. Start uh, paying attention and, and being engaged with people on the margin. Start getting up four minutes early to pray. Whatever it is that you want to have as a goal to see God work in your life. So back to Romans 12. Let God transform us. Let us transform the way that we think. And then the third thing that it says about transformation is that this is actually connected to us knowing and doing God's will. And that God's will for you is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. And sometimes we get hung up on those phrases, but I want us to focus on the phrase, learn to know God's will will. Think of that for a moment. That God's will for you, for us, is something that has to be learned. It's something that can be learned. Meaning that you can get better at figuring it out in 2020. Because anything that can be learned means that you don't step into that as an expert. It doesn't just happen for you. This is why we give 16-year-olds and the entire country around them learners and we put it on the car so that you can see, oh, this person is not an expert driver yet. 
they're still learning. They're still trying to figure this thing out. And hopefully it gives you a little bit more grace for them as a driver around you. And so I want to give you permission to put the L on when it comes to God's will for you. Sometimes you make this overcomplicated and we think, oh, I haven't figured it out. I'm not an expert at it. I don't know what God's will for me is. Well, in skiing, you do not start on the moguls on your first time out. You start simple. You grow into a deeper ability over time. And the same is true when it comes to God's will. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate God's will. But when you look in the New Testament, it keeps it fairly simple. It says things like, God's will is for you to be holy. God's will is that you should live an honorable life. Pursue holiness, pursue God in God's word, live honorably. That's God's will for you. It's not, doesn't have to be massively complicated. And so as we learn to live into those simple things, then we grow in understanding and learning what it is that God's will is for us. And here we come back again to the way that we phrase our core value. We use the language of apprenticeship, spiritual apprenticeships. Because really, all of us are learners when it comes to the spiritual life. We all, until the day that you die, will walk around with an L on, still trying to figure out some aspects about who God is and who we are and how we relate to God. We're all learners. And so the worship team's gonna come and lead us in a time of responding to God. And I wanna ask you the question, can you see yourself as an apprentice, as a learner, a lifelong apprentice? As opposed to, sometimes we see ourselves as a person who tries and fails and tries and fails at transformation over time. But if we see ourselves as learners, we're more apt to give grace to ourselves and to offer grace to others around us. We're more likely to try something and take a risk, to try something new, to allow ourselves to fail at it because we're not experts at this thing called following Jesus. We're still learners and we will be until the day that we die. And so that is a posture that each one of us can take. And one of the ways that we do that and take that posture is by confession. Confession is simply a word that means just agreeing with God that we don't know it all. And that we have perhaps acted in ways or done things that might be out of alignment with God's will and God's heart. And so the worship team's going to begin to play. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer of confession. And so you may want to just hold in your mind those one or two things that you said, Hey God, these are areas that I historically have said to you I don't want you involved in or engaged in. And for you... Maybe this is the moment where you say, God, I'm actually opening the door to that in a fresh way. Listen to this prayer. Lord Jesus, we confess the distractions and the busyness of our lives make it difficult to listen deeply to your voice. Transform us transform our priorities 
so that we make space in our lives to be quiet and to listen to you. Let's do that now. Just take a moment. confess to becoming so shaped by the values of this age that you call and your call on our lives can be hard for us to hear. We invite you, we ask you, we give you permission to transform our values so they are shaped by your concerns. They're shaped by your heart for the unloved and the unlovely and for the weak and for the powerless in our society and in our confess that too often notions of mission and outreach and planning is weighed against economic viability. And so we confess and ask that you would transform our thinking so that we risk believing that all things are held together not by the bottom line financially but by you. You are in charge. You are leading. Jesus, you are the bearer of reconciliation. And so we confess that all too often in our faith community, we harbor thoughts that estrange and make us hostile towards one another. We ask that you would transform our hearts so that we are filled with the desire to forgive one another and to make peace and to live at peace for a moment and just ask God, are there any reconciled relationships, any relationships that need to be reconciled as you move into this new season and new year? Jesus, source of our faith, confess that we very quickly forget the words that we say and we pray and we sing when we're gathered in a time of worship like this. And so I ask that you would transform our lives so that they remain connected to you at all times and in all places. Jesus, Savior, Lord, May the posture of our lives be shaped by listening in increasing ways to you. May the goodness of our lives be shaped increasingly by our love for you and the service of our lives be shaped by a humility that characterized your life. We pray all of these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. 
but we're going to move into a time of responding to God uh, in worship. And so I'd invite you to stand with me. And there are people that would love to pray with you. And so Meg and myself will be at the back and Gary and Betty will be at the back. And if you'd like to just process something that you've heard or if you're walking through something that you want to celebrate or that's a challenge for you, we'd invite you to come. We'll have name tags on and we would love to walk with you. And as we sing two more worship songs that really declare our intentions uh, to God and to follow Jesus more deeply.